and welcome to this podcast series, This PhD Thinks, with me, Jovina Ang. I'm here to talk to the PhD community. Talking to these individuals have challenged me, made me think differently, and helped me grow as a leader and a person. And I hope you'll be able to take away a thing or two from the conversations with my guests. So therefore, we call something called the mind and hand. We call it the men and manners. There's a, uh, a MIT uh, methodology on innovation called the discipline entrepreneurship. So it's a 24 step that you how to a startup company to innovate. This method has one thing that I found it to be very unusual. Now, a lot of time, a lot of time, a lot of people thinking when they start a company, right? within the uh, 24 step, what they ask you to do is to define a imaginative person or even a real person in your mind. We call it the persona. Hello, everyone. My guest for this episode is Charleston Sin. Charleston is the executive director of the MIT Innovation Node in Hong Kong, a former corporate executive who has worked for more than 25 years in Canada, Silicon Valley, and China. And he is also a professor at the Polytechnic University of Hong Kong. Charleston, thank you so much for finding time in a busy schedule to do this for me. And it's so good to be connected to you after so long. I left Cisco in 2003. So what, it's almost 20 years since we met face to face. So thank you so much that you are able to do this and so good to be connected to you again. And welcome to the podcast. Yeah, I'm so glad that I have the opportunity to share uh, what I learned, what I experienced so far with my 20 plus 30 years uh, career. And, uh, and, and as you know that I love Cisco and I love technology and I love the Silicon Valley. So, and it is actually a great honor for me to share about uh, what, what I think about innovation as the key things that I, I, I do see. Well, thank you for that. So, Charleston, you've been the innovation guy for so many decades. Why don't we start the conversation with me asking you, what are some of the key innovation achievements that you're really, really proud of? Wow, there are, are two, so I can think of. Okay. The first one is, um, is when I first joined uh, in 1998, when I joined Cisco in Silicon Valley. Right. During that time, I remember that um, my boss, uh, John Chen, asked us to develop uh, a new strategy for Cisco to get into the wider space. In, back in 1998, Cisco is very small, relatively only 10,000 people, but they want to, uh, already they are in the enterprise side, they have been in the telco side, but they understand that the future of internet is moving into the mobile internet. So therefore, they recruit uh, a few of us to start the mobile strategy in, in Cisco, in the Silicon Valley. So I was part of it, and I was actually the very first start, uh, first hire uh, with a background from the wireless into, into the group. And the first product we ever introduced is called the GGSN, for the, at that time, for the 3G network. Um, it's essentially adding a router with a software on top and appended to the mobile network. 
And you know what? At that time, um, I still remember that it's in February 1999. Wow. And then we worked with Motorola uh, on that. And I thought that, okay, that day, the Cisco stock should be jumping up. It didn't happen. And then uh, and later on, that uh, we are tasked uh, go around the world, uh, including working with companies like Nokia, Ericsson, Motorola, and uh, Zhongxing in China to promote this type of the technology. You know what? Today at Cisco, this uh, series of product uh, property making about one billion, two billion dollars revenue per year. And, and I think I'm really proud of it because to me, it is an a, a innovation that we create. We use an existing hardware and put a software on top and so that it can be a new innovation of the product. So this is, that's why I was so proud of it, you know, since then and, and even until now. Wow. And I make a significant contribution to this process and introducing that and going around in Asia Pacific during the time we met in Singapore many, many times yes. uh, working for the same boss and to promote that. So that's my first one. The second one, which is what I recently that I'm very proud of is what I'm doing at the Hong, uh, MIT, uh, uh, MIT Innovation Nook in Hong Kong. Why I'm so proud of it is because we are actually each year through our program, reach out a lot of kids, high school students, and more right. importantly, uh, teachers within, their, within our framework, using our framework to promote them in terms of something called the computational thinking. Now, computational thinking is, is not only computational thinking, but also in, instead of only coding. Computational thinking is to help young kids, teenagers, and to think from a very systematic point of view, how to create a process and how to solve a problem. And last year, we, we served 700 teachers and students uh, at the Note, help them to be more innovative, more creative. Because at the end of the day, and I think that MIT as being one of the uh, top technical universities in the world, and we can actually bring the MIT culture the secret sauce of MIT and to Hong Kong. By that, we means that not only uh, someone working in this area, not only very good in theory, but need to be very good with hand. So therefore, we call something called the mind and hand. We call it the man and manners. So this is something I'm trying to build in Hong Kong. We need for someone to be successful and they need to be have mind and ability to do analytic and think, and also ability to implement the practical skill. And when you and I work for Cisco, we understand that really well, that you know thinking is one thing, action is one thing, but the right. power is to put them together. That wow. is the innovation I was very proud of. That's amazing. You must have impacted, what, thousands, maybe hundreds of thousands of students already, right? Um, thousands, not hundred thousand yet. <laughs> <laughs> but but you know that's that's amazing because you know young people are our future. So maybe mm -hmm. you can unpack it a little bit more. Uh, sure. What do you mean by computational thinking? Because not many people understand what that yes. means. Computational thinking is essentially an uh, a, a framework of how you solve a problem in a very very systematic way. Uh, after you have actually systematically doing it, the next step is to take it the computational action 
Now, because now in the world, because we are having so much exposure into the world, we see a lot of problems. For, let me give you a real example. This is mm-hmm. a real example. Sure. Um, uh, uh, somewhat, not in Hong Kong, but uh, someone using a technology, a programming tool called the App Inventor, uh, created by MIT professor, Professor Hal Abelson, which is a legend uh, in the computer science uh, world because he wrote many books about computer science. So App Inventor is something that you can actually use your Android machine and you can program it. You can actually write an application on an Android machine. Okay. Right now, we are seeing the problem that in China, in particular in Hong Kong, uh, on well, the, in the COVID nineteen, uh, people have problem with logistic sharing, mm-hmm. and a lot of time is that it's not that they don't have the, the the food or to supply to the people. It's just that the logistic, the innovation is just not there. So. Now, back uh, a few years back, in India, in a very poor location, in a poor city, a number of lay girls programmer using every mentor to roll a program, to write a program. This program will help within that district people to tell them what time that you should go line up for the water. Mm-hmm. Now, in the past, girls spent whole day lying up because of they just just go there and line up. But now, because of this simple app inventor, that they can be actually allocating the time that they go, and then so that they can actually reduce the number of time that they spend in lining up. A very simple program. Wow. And this is kind of the computational thinking and computational action because they're solving a real-world problem. It's not an imaginary problem. Therefore, by leveraging this computational approach, computational thinking approach, computational action approach, then you can actually go innovate in the real world. That is something that is a mindset that I think all of us can actually learn something about that. Oh, absolutely. So it's called App Inventor. Inventor, yes. And it's only available in Android right now. Uh, no, 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 not not anymore. It's now uh, available in the iOS version as well. Oh, that's fantastic! That's fantastic. Yes. I maybe you I should you should have your uh, friends to 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 try it out. It is actually very easy to pick up, very easy to learn. It's something called a, a drag and drop block programming. Okay, it's very you you don't need to have a computer science degree at all. Uh, uh, you know, the lowest uh, uh, some of the students we have is uh, in grade four. So grade four, about 9, 10, 11 years old, they can actually master that. Wow, I should I will definitely try it out after this. So what yes. have, what else have you seen uh, people do in terms of uh, the innovation from adopting this computational thinking in Hong Kong? It's uh, is is uh, not by a company, but by a, a, a grade five and grade six student. So now in Hong Kong, I'm sure uh, in, also in Singapore. So in Hong Kong, there are roads that you can actually park on the side and then you need to put into the meters, parking meters, right? Yes. So Oh, now, or you scratch a coupon. <laughs> or yes, you... that's right. You scratch a coupon. But in Hong Kong, we're still putting the uh, autobus uh, or the corn. Most You're autobus kidding? To, to... You, you yes. still have those parking meters? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's, it's actually... And then, you know, because of the government trying to, you know, uh, uh, control. So, therefore, the parking meter is 30 minutes, one hour, and two hours. Okay. And then, you know, uh, you, you can imagine, uh, teachers have that problem, right? They park the car there. Every two hours, they need to go out and put in more meters, right? Now, they, the, the, the student uh, 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 
grade five and grade six student, do you know what they did? They did used the app inventor. They used the app inventor to write an app. Mm-hmm. The app will draw because of the they will draw the GPS information and then position that in the car and the meter that that they that that you have after you park it, you register this location, and every two hours it will they will the machines, the the program will say your your meter is going to expire. You better go out or ask someone to do it for you. Now, and then if you decide to ask someone to do it for you, then they will broadcast a message within the meters area. And if someone have the same application open up and they will open up to say, oh, uh, this car need to fill up more meters. Right. If you do that for me, I will give you $20. Okay. Interesting. Wow. Yes. You know, just remember that this is a real problem. But uh, legally speaking, after two hours parking, your car should move. But, you know, and they found it this way. And then they don't need to uh, go out and fill the meter again. Isn't it clever? That's very so, clever. Uh, that's right. So, and um, and uh, and in Chinese term, in Hong Kong term, we call bill. What does that mean? bill. <laughs> This word mean adding. Ah. Bill is meters. Okay. So right. therefore, they even the term of it, the name of it is bill, okay. uh, adding more into the meters. And then <laughs> this is how clever they are. Wow. So that's why this I, I really like the creativity that they are they're working at. Another example that I can I can share with you. Uh, there's a, a, a MIT uh, methodology of innovation called the discipline entrepreneurship. So it's okay. a twenty-four step that you how do you a startup company to innovate, right? I've seen so many of the startup company using that method to build a very good business plan and implementation strategy, so that they can actually start up their company according to the to the process and the principle and being successful. So there are many of them actually in China. So and uh, I I found that this. Methodology is actually very useful. Again, mind and head, mind and head. Yeah, absolutely. So, so you said the twenty-four steps to from startup to launching a company. What are exactly. some unique aspects of that twenty-four steps? Oh wow, there's uh, oh there's so many things that I want to tell you about that. So, because of this method, has one thing that I found it to be very unusual. And now, what is that? A lot of time, a lot of time, a lot of people thinking when they start a company, right? Within the twenty-four uh, step, what they ask you to do is to define a imaginative person, or even a real person in your mind. We call it the persona. When you define the persona, and then we are going to describe this persona as much as possible, way beyond the superficial things. What is the need? What ha- make them happy? What color they like? What car they drive? Are they how much exercise they you to do so that you can actually in your imagination or you can use a real person that to profile someone where the entire team working on this project will keep thinking about whether my solution is going to fit into that particular persona. The second one is the most interesting. We call it the primary market research. Now, within this innovation process, they ask you, instead of only depending on the secondary market research, you go to primary market research when you're looking for the problem, 
when you have the solution and you are get trying to get the purchasing intent. Now, the keyword here is primary, not secondary. In other words, that you as a as, as a sales leader, you as a CEO, you as a CFO, need to go out, cold call people on the street, and to understand that what do they need and how to address to the need that they have. The keyword here is primary. You are not going to ask other people to do it because within the startup scenery, you need to be not only very focused, but most importantly, you need to be very passionate. You need to use your own explanation to tell them about what they have. Instead of what I call the armchair analyst, you're sitting in the office in your armchair and think about someone may have that problem. Like this is impersonal. Therefore, again, mind and hand. Not only that you are thinking about it with support of the secondary research, with the rationale, but you need to go ask. By communicating with five people, you get some confidence. You talk to 10 people, your design confidence is better. If you talk to 20, if you talk to 50 people, your confidence is actually increasing. When your investor asking you, right, do you really understand that? I said, I talked to 50 people of it, 25 of them talk about this, 25 of them talk about this. In particular, 45 of them is asking me whether I can actually do that. The confidence level that you can carry out is incredibly bring the passion understand. Because you and I know that, right? Working on a startup is all about passion. If you don't feel that problem, if you don't want that problem to be resolved, if you cannot imagine that someone having that problem, is at the end of the day, you can't sustain that. So therefore, those are the passion things that I think is actually very, very interesting. So, so you, you talked about the who, which is the persona, the what, defining the problem through primary research. I'm sure there's a how bit as well yes. as part of yes. this process. So can yes. you elaborate that how bit? Because I think that's when the rubber hits the road. Hey, this is very good. So within there, we have we developed something now. Let's think of a Venn diagram, right? Okay. A problem is a big Venn diagram. A solution is another big Venn diagram. The question is whether it's a lot of people think that my problem need to exactly fit into the solution. That's 100%. That's just, that's just not true. What they're asking for is the Venn diagram, something meet in the middle. In other words, that the problem is not the entire problem. You cannot solve every problem. And you cannot define a solution to solve all the problem solution. Yeah, cover, cover all the problems. So therefore, we call the problem solution fit. In term, is that not too big, not too small, just about right. The keyword here is fit. So with that fit, and then you can, you are not trying to boil the ocean with all the problem. You are not trying to use a very big solution to define this problem. At the end, you define something called the minimal viable business product. Just minimal, just enough, not too big, not too small. Why it is important is because, because of the solution is not too big, not too small, so that you can actually quickly prototype that. After you prototype that, you can actually test it out with your persona, test it out with your primary market research. And this simple process of just being right is very important. Easy to say, but very hard to implement. What's the quickest time you've seen where people 
have been able to like have an idea, uh, create a persona, do the primary research, as well as coming up with a minimum viable product or solution. How long does this process How take? Quick? Yeah, two weeks. Two weeks. two weeks. Wow. Yes. So uh, one of our program called the MEMC program, we bring the MIT student from US into Hong Kong, and then we recruit the Hong Kong student and put them together. They share room, one MIT, one, one, one Hong Kong. They actually share room in a hotel. In two weeks' time, they don't know each other. They don't have a common interest. And by the end of two weeks, they need to prepare an end-to-end business plan. Also, they need to prepare a functional prototype. And then also, they need to do a seven-minute presentation and being, in, in being asked by the real VC and see whether they can do that. So... Yeah, so let's turn to you because you, you've been the innovation guy for, what, 25 years. So yeah. how, let, let me ask you, how have you constantly innovate for yourself? Because you, you have, you know, you're constantly staying ahead of the curve. So how do you continually learn and innovate what you do, Chelston? Yeah, the, 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 I, this is a, such a good question, Jovina. So first thing first is I, when I was doing a sales job, my focus has been, you know, on, on the customer. But be very honest with you, over the last four years, I worked for the MIT uh, Innovation Note. My mind become open up because I don't need to chase the day-to-day number as sales. And then in particular, uh, uh, doing a sales time that I can be as innovative as possible for the customer. But when I'm stopped doing it, I'm able to read a lot of uh, uh, material not only the journal, my favorite magazine is MIT Technology Review. And I have the Y magazines, Medium, and I read, I read them every day. And the newspaper, then I can be able to do more analysis of it. And, and because of there's something, I don't know whether you heard it, called the 60 Years Curriculum. No, have I you haven't. No, ah. tell, me, tell me a bit more about that. Okay, the, this, this, there's, a, there's a phenomenon, there's a book written by Professor Chris Didi from Harvard, uh, Harvard Education School. Yep. So the idea is that the people uh, being born over the last, after the year 2000, most likely they will be have the age of, they will be have an age of uh, 100. So That's right. That's a book actually called The 100 Year Life too. Yes, exactly. So this is, so just in, imagine that, right? So now let's say that you finish your university degree in 21, 25, and then most likely that you need to work until 75 or even 85. You need to work for until, when you're 100 years old and you work for 85, right? And and just, just quite normal, right? But you think about that, 60, you, you need to, work for 60 years, the chance that you only do one career is not very high. Yes. It's more likely that they're doing three or four career. Yep. Like for example, I was an R&D guy. Yep. And then I become a sales guy and yep. operation. And then, you know, those are in the telecom world, telecom and technology world. And then later on, I went to MIT, become an NGO administrator. So I'm basically doing a slash. And then while I'm at the working at the MIT, no, I'm a professor at the PolyU. So therefore, I have three career now. Yes. And, and then also, I run a number of startup companies myself. So I have the fourth career as well. So two, three, four is actually working at the same time. So therefore, you can imagine that like when 10 years ago, 
there's nothing called the Uber driver. 20 years ago, there's no nothing called a web designer. There's no web for you to design, let alone web designer, right? And therefore, can you imagine that in your four-year university, you can pick up that skill set and how to be a web designer? There's no such job. Just think about that. This is what you're talking about, 60 years. Therefore, within 60 years, you most likely have two, three, and four career. And each of the career, the only thing can help you to move from one career to another one is there's only one thing, learning how to learn. Let me ask you another question to follow on learning how to learn. What is one secret that you learn how to learn? Yes. I, in my in my in my humble opinion, I do two things. I I I do a lot of observation with my kids. Okay. My son is twenty eight years old. My daughter is twenty five years old. I learn about education. I learn about how to learn from them. When my son was 15, uh, 13 years old, just become uh, just become a, a a teen, and he 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 already told me that he said there when I go to school, I learn how to learn. Mm-hmm. And he read a lot of things, read uh, a lot of things that's unrelated. And he himself is a generalist by 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 training, and then he just know a lot of things. That is right. part of the education there because he told me that he's learning how to learn. So same for my daughter, and she is uh, very focusing on one area is in human psychology, counseling, but. Also, she's very interesting, a, a very broad area. So mm-hmm. therefore, um, there's one thing that my son, even though spent so much on education, he took up the job of cooking. He's cooking. now a foodies and is a cooking KOL. Wow. He loved to cook and he just followed his passion. Just, just like what Steve Jobs say, right? Do what you like. And then eventually it will work out fine. Right. Same for my daughter. So I learned from my 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 two kids because right. they are actually accessible. The second thing is that I always curious mm-hmm. about a lot of things. Mm-hmm. So therefore, I go to the web all the time and checking on every time when there's something I don't understand, I'll go to the web and 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 search it. The third area that I found it to be very useful is to ask people, to be very humble to ask people when you don't know. Mm-hmm. And, and, uh, and when I think of and one subject, for example, if I want to know about fusion technology, I'll go to one person to ask. And I know that because if I have a lot of friends and then I, if I humbly ask and they will explain that to me and then I can actually quickly get it. So those are my approach of learning how to learn. Thank you for sharing that. That's um, I've, I mean, I've really, really enjoyed our conversation. But because um, I want to um, ask you finally, what is one key takeaway you want to leave behind with the listeners? One area that I have been, uh, uh, recently I have been learning a lot is that you, you can't, uh, is when I drop my career, good career in, sales and leadership and pick up another one and by you it just like a a, a a glass right so if i have fill up with something and i cannot put more thing in i need to right. actually empty that and put that aside and that's the history of me and then moving on into another new area that i can have an opportunity to learn i would tell you that uh, now 
I spend roughly about eight, seven, eight, nine hours to read, to read paper, to read newspaper, magazine, so that I can actually keep things doing. So, um, and of all the last few years, I I am able to talk about blockchain, NFT, multiverse, cloud computing, big data, uh, uh, and AI. So it's just because of for the last few years that I empty myself and pick it up and get ready to be refreshed. So this is something that is have the heart to be ready to learn how to learn. This is something that I will always do. And I'm always a curious person and I'm always need to be a humble learner. Well, I really like the analogy about emptying to learn and to fill up, you know, as we go yes. along, but not being afraid to leave the past behind and put yes. and empty out and learn more things. Exactly. I really, really like that, Charleston. Well, thank, thank you. you so much for sharing all your thoughts. And uh, I've really, really enjoyed our conversation. Thank you, Sofina. So it's really, really great. So I, I wish that this program is being, you know, as successful as possible. And thank you for doing that for everyone. Thank you for tuning in to this PhD Thinks with me, Jovina Ang. Till next time. Bye-bye now.